Please also turn with me, congregation, to page 478 in the back of the hymnal. Page 478, where we will find uh, Lord's Day 5 of the Heidelberg Catechism. This is our confession as the Christian Church, and we'll be looking at Lord's Day 5 this afternoon as the text of our sermon. In question and answer 12, we're asked, Since, according to God's righteous judgment, we deserve temporal and eternal punishment, how can we escape this punishment and be again received into favor? And we answer, God demands that his justice be satisfied. Therefore, we must make full payment, either by ourselves or through another. Question and answer 13, can we by ourselves make this payment? And the answer, certainly not. On the contrary, we daily increase our debt. Question and answer 14, can any mere creature pay for us? And we answer, no. In the first place, God will not punish another creature for the sin which man has committed. Furthermore, no mere creature can sustain the burden of God's eternal wrath against sin and deliver others from it. Question and answer 15, what kind of mediator and deliverer must we seek? And we answer, one who is a true and righteous man, and yet more powerful than all creatures, that is, one who is at the same time true God. Beloved in the Lord Jesus Christ, we're of course picking up in Lord's Day 5 from Lord's Day 4, and I've I've tried to uh, continue where Reverend Slump started. Um, But uh, Lord's Day 5 represents a a new section of the Catechism. You see the heading there on um, our deliverance. Uh, And in the previous Lord's Days, of course, has been the preparation for this section. We've been confessing, of course, the sinfulness of man. Uh, For instance, we saw in Lord's Day 3 that man fell through sin, or um, or into sin through his own disobedience, at the instigation of the devil, of course. We saw in Lord's Day 4 that on account of the fall, man has been rendered incapable of keeping God's law perfectly. We saw that God is terribly displeased with our original and actual sin and that his justice demands that he punish sin with eternal torment. And we have to understand that the first section of the catechism is structured purposefully to to bring us to this point that we understand our wretchedness, uh, to bring us to our knees, we would say, uh, to bring us to a state of contriteness. And boys and girls, what's contriteness? What does it mean? To be contrite, it means to be broken-hearted, to be sorrowful, to be cut to the heart, to be remorseful because of our sins. So we, we needed to be brought to the point of contriteness uh, before the, the balm of the gospel is, is applied to the, the, the sting of, of the conviction that we feel. We need, we need it to be brought to the point where we say with Paul, wretched man that I am, who will save me from this body of death? And yet, we see that through God's grace and mercy, we are not left sobbing in a corner. In Lord's Day 5, we begin to hear of deliverance. We're not there yet, but we get a glimpse, we get a hint. As a mother stretches out her hand to comfort her helpless, crying child, our Father in heaven begins to comfort us, to draw us close. In Lord's Day 5, we we hear him say to us as his children, Hush, my children. Your Father is here. You are not without hope. And so our theme, as we look at Lord's Day 5 this afternoon, is this. Contrite sinners confess the beginning of hope. 
Contrite sinners confess the beginning of hope. We'll see that we confess this even in light of, in the first place, the surety of God's justice. In the second place, even in light of the uselessness of man's devices. And in the third place, even in the light of the impossible qualifications needed. And that is humanly speaking. But as we contrite sinners confess the, the beginning of hope, we do so even in the light of the surety of God's justice. In question 12, we were asked, since according to God's righteous judgment, we deserve temporal and eternal punishment, how can we escape this punishment and be again received into favor? And what's odd about this question is the admission of guilt that we hear. Something we haven't heard before in the previous Lord's days. You may remember from the sermons uh, previous, uh, in the previous Lord's days, the mind of, of natural man being described here sought uh, what we would call loopholes in the system. Any means to escape without pleading guilty to anything, without admi- any admission of guilt. Lord's Day 3, for instance, hinted that it was God's fault, that he created us this way, so why should I be blamed for being asked to do something that I can't do? Uh, uh, question and answer 9 implied that God wasn't a fear in requiring of man something that he was not capable of. Question and answer 11 sought an escape by the fact that God is merciful, which a lot of people hide behind. So the thinking is of of, uh, fallen man, uh, well, God couldn't possibly send anybody to hell because isn't he merciful? But now we hear a different tune, uh, an admission that man deserves punishment both in this world and forever after. And this is a, a, a vital vital step in towards salvation, owning up to the fact that we have indeed sinned against God who is holy. You know, what we heard in Psalm 32 applies to every one of us. In verse 5, David writes, Then I acknowledged uh, my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the guilt of my sin. Through the convicting work of the Holy Spirit, David surrenders here to the Lord. He admits in in, uh, verses 3 and 4 that there was a time, in fact, when he tried to hide his sins, when he tried to cover up. He refused to confess that he had done any wrong. And what did it get him? Misery, he says. He experienced physical and spiritual, emotional torment. Relief would only come as he admitted his guilt. And boys and girls, we know what that feels like, don't we? We know what it feels like to hide something from mom and dad and then to finally confess that it was us. Perhaps we tried to cover up the fact that it was us who was was responsible for that lipstick or the the, um, the nail polish in mom's favorite coffee mug. You know, the one says, um, world's greatest mom. We we, we try to hide it. We try to cover up the fact that it was us who really did that and we, we were responsible. But when we confess... We know how good we feel. Even though there's punishment down the road, we know, okay, there may be consequences, but we feel good because we've we've been hiding this inside us for so long. And so it is when we confess our sins before God. You know, sometimes you you read in like uh, the Voice of the Martyrs and magazines like that, and you read about stories of people in foreign countries who committed all kinds of of wicked acts against, against Christians or against others. But at some point they became Christians. And and what do you read of them? That they weep and they weep as they tell their story. Why? Why the weeping? Why the sorrow? Because the floodgate that held their guilt inside for so long had finally been opened. And they could confess their sins openly and know that there is forgiveness. 
That's how salvation begins for all of us. With the admission of guilt. That we have sinned against God. That we deserve His just punishment. It begins with the longing to have that guilt removed from us. To have the slate cleaned. And so we throw ourselves at the mercy of God. We have stood in His courtroom and we realize that we are guilty. We realize that we have no excuse. And so we ask with the catechism, isn't there any way that I can be made right with you? Any way to be again received into your favor? See, we, we realize that the wrath of God is coming. And like a, like a tsunami, like a tidal wave, it cannot be stopped. And it's not even that we just want to escape. It's not only that, not merely that. We want to be received, we want to be forgiven, and we want to be received back into, into the favor of God. We want to have the relationship restored that we had before all this nasty business happened in the Garden of Eden. And again, we understand that concept of wanting to be restored with our Father in Heaven. We have that with our, uh, with our children as well as parents. And even um, in the relationship as children that we have with our parents, whether you're four or whether you're 40, you know that we don't like to, to feel as if uh, our parents are mad at us, that, we, that there's some kind of a wall, something between us. Whether you're four or 40, whether you're nine or 90 is the same thing. We don't like to have that, uh, that any kind of a hindrance between the relationship that we have with our parents. I remember sitting one time when I was in seminary at the, the dinner table of a fellow seminary student, and he had a three-year-old daughter who would not settle down. She kept running around and making noise. And so finally her dad said to her, Okay, young lady, when uh, devotions are over, you get a spank. Which didn't help matters much because this girl was part siren, and she immediately began this loud wailing in the house at just the threat of what was coming down the line. Well, true to his word... Right after the Amen, my friend took his daughter out to her room and she gave, he gave to her what my parents used to call a blessing, uh, which, result, which resulted in an even louder display of this girl's lung power. But what I found fascinating is about 15 minutes later, after she had done sobbing, she poked her little head out and she looked. And then she started slowly making her way back into the room and, and closing in, getting closer and closer to dad until she finally got close enough to him and she crawled up into his lap. And, you know, you see, what, what she knew that what she did was bad. She knew what she was in the wrong. She knew what she got was well-deserved. But now she wanted to make sure that everything was okay, that dad still loved her. And so it is with us. As Adam's fallen race, as, as the, the cursed children of Adam. When we come to terms with the fact that we are under the just condemnation of God, we want reconciliation with Him. We want to be made right. We want union and, and communion restored with Him. And that's why, as we read the question and answers, uh, the answer 12 is a little bit shocking, perhaps. It takes us back a little bit. Uh, the answer... Um, is God demands that his justice be satisfied. Therefore, we must make full payment either by ourselves or through another. And answer 12 comes like a, a bucket of ice water. God's justice must, must be satisfied. But here, at the same time, even though we're hearing that there is no compromise, that God will not turn a blind eye to our sin, the sentence must be carried out, here is where we get the beginning of hope. Because we don't hear, absolutely not. There's nothing that can be done. We get a glimpse. We get a hint of grace. Because we hear, for the first time, of another. 
The, the door isn't flung wide open yet, but we're seeing that perhaps there's a ray of hope. That God will have his justice just uh, um, uh, satisfied. There's no doubt about that. Sin will be punished. There's no compromise as far as, as God is concerned, as far as the punishment that's coming is concerned. God will not, and indeed he cannot turn a blind eye to sin. But for the first time, we get a hint that maybe satisfaction can be made by another. In congregation, when it comes to our situation before God, the good news is that there is good news. When we realize that the axe is already at the, at the root of the tree, that the bow is already pulled tight and it's aimed squarely at our chest and we're ready to fall. When we, re- when we realize that God's hand is on the switch and he's ready to pull it, that we are dead where we stand, we're reminded that there is hope. God has provided another. And his name is Jesus Christ. The one who has made vicarious, boys and girls, big word, just simply means substitutionary. He has stood in our place. Jesus Christ has made vicarious atonement. That means he has taken upon himself the anger of God. He has quieted God's anger against us for our sins. Jesus Christ is the one that God has provided. The another that's being hinted at here. He is the lamb who took away the sins of the world. The one who bore our sins and carried our sorrows. Who is our hope, and our heart's desire. But as we contrite sinners confess the beginning of hope, we also want to see in the second place that we can do so even in the light of man's useless devices. In other words, we begin to see hope even as we realize that there is nothing we can do, nothing we can come up with to quiet God's wrath. Question and answer 13, uh, we, uh, we confess this. Can we by ourselves make this payment? And we answer, certainly not. On the contrary, we daily increase our debt. And so we're asking ourselves, is it possible? And again, this is before conversion. We're talking here about the uh, natural, sinful man. We're asking, is it possible that we ourselves can make satisfaction to God? And natural man thinks this way. Surely there must be something that we can do. Some way we, we can clear the bill or settle our accounts ourselves with God. And if you think about it, isn't that the belief of every other major religion or philosophy on the earth today? That somehow God, whatever they conceive God to be, that God will accept payment from us. That we can somehow work off our debt. That we can trade off, uh, let's say, good deeds for all the bad that we have done. Muslims, for instance, they pray five times a day. And they give to charity and they fast and they do all these other things. Why? To try to get into God's good graces. To try to gain some favor with God because they know they're bad. Hindus uh, burn incense and food and they make all kinds of sacrifices to their multiple gods. And they submit their bodies to even physical torture to somehow atone for their sins. New Agers, they seek to cleanse themselves from evil desires following the teachings of of Buddhism and and all these kinds of things. Or they they worship the earth and and they think that somehow they can atone for their wickedness by uh, loving the earth and and, and, uh, and seeking after the, the good of the environment and all of these things. And you see, here's the thing. Sinful, sinful man acting on what John Calvin called the seed of religion in every one of us, we sense our guilt. And sinful man asks, can't we pay this debt ourselves? But the catechism, as it faithfully summarizes scripture for us, tells us that we certainly cannot. In fact, if anything, we increase our guilt 
every day. And we have to understand that. That apart from Christ, we are piling the sins of today upon the sins of yesterday. And we keep going day in, day out. Listen to these words from Romans chapter 2. Romans 2 verses 4 and 5. Paul originally speaks these to, uh, to, the, to Jews, but this is to us as well. Romans 2 verses 4 and 5. Or do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness, tolerance and patience, not realizing that God's kindness leads you toward repentance? But because of your stubbornness and your unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath against yourself for the day of God's wrath, when his righteous judgment will be revealed. And the idea of, of storing up here, pictures, if you can, if you can imagine a, a warehouse that we keep filling up all the time. And when that warehouse is full, we build another one. And we fill that up and we keep going. Well, how do we do this? What do we fill these warehouses with? With the sins that we commit against God in thought, word, and deed. We speak when we shouldn't. And we're silent when we should say something. We do what God forbids. And we neglect what he commands. We pass judgment on others. We brag. We covet. We commit idolatry. We rob God and our neighbor. We are prideful and selfish. Indeed, to the question of the psalmist, if God kept a record of sins, who then could stand? We have to answer, certainly not I. And so we could not pay the debt owed to God ourselves. But then we ask, well, what about some other creature? And that's what's asked in question and answer 14. Can any mere creature pay for us? Well, surely, fallen man thinks, there must be some creature in this vast universe whose life can pay for my life. And in a sense, there's an admission of guilt here, we understand, of man's poverty, of his inadequacy. Here we find fallen man stripped of his pride, looking desperately for hope and help somewhere. But the catechism, as it faithfully summarizes scripture for us, it rightly answers, no. In the first place, God will not punish another creature for the sin which man has committed. Furthermore, no mere creature can sustain the burden of God's eternal wrath against sin and deliver others from it. And so we are reminded once again that mere creatures cannot help us. Man cannot do it. Why? Because they, are, they themselves are in the same boat as we are. They themselves, every other human being, is storing up his own uh, wrath against, uh, uh, or God's wrath against himself. He's building up his own warehouse. Uh, they themselves bear the stain of sin. In Psalm 49, verses 7 to 9, listen to what David writes. No man can redeem the life of another or give to God a ransom for him. The ransom for a life is costly. No payment is ever enough that he should live on forever and not see decay. See, even the most pious, even the most God-fearing man in, that ever existed or will ever exist could not save us. And so fallen man asks, well, what about the angels? Aren't they, you know, the author of Hebrews in uh, Hebrews 1.14 calls them ministering spirits sent to serve those who will inherit salvation? What about the angels? Aren't they free from the effects of the fall? And if they won't do, well, how about an animal? What about all those uh, bulls and goats that we read about in the Old Testament who were slaughtered to make atonement for the people of God? Well, our catechism rightly replies that no substitute can be found among any creature on the earth. First of all, God will not punish another creature for man's guilt. Angels are not flesh and blood, as, so, so they, of course, won't do. 
and the animals in the Old Testament were merely pointers to the true lamb who was to come in the fullness of time. And second, no mere creature could sustain the force of God's wrath against our sin. So what what does the writer of Hebrews say of God? He's a consuming fire. What do we confess in John 3.16? That whoever believes in Jesus shall not perish. No mere creature can stand up to the fierce and consuming wrath of God. But congregation, even in the face of these useless devices, we contrite sinners can see the beginning of hope. Because the catechism mentions that no mere creature is able to satisfy God's wrath. And again, we have here a ray of hope. There's a hint that there might be one who is not a mere creature. One who would be able to tear apart the bonds that bound us. Who would be able to break the bars and release our chains. And there is only one such person, Jesus Christ, who is like no other. Who alone can accomplish what no mere creature can. And this is where we move to our third point. In Jesus Christ, we, con- con- we contrite sinners see the beginning of hope even in the face of the impossible qualifications that such a Savior would need. In question and answer 15, we ask, what kind of mediator and deliverer must we seek? And we answer, one who is a true and righteous man and yet more powerful than all creatures. That is, one who is at the same time true God. And the catechism reminds us here that we need a mediator and a deliverer. Boys and girls, another big word, mediator. What's a mediator? Uh, a mediator is, is one who acts to bring peace between two people who are in a disagreement. If there are two people who are in a quarrel, they're fallen out for some reason, a mediator stands between them, he tries to bring them back together. It's kind of like when uh, uh, two, a brother or sister or two brothers are fighting at home, two little siblings, and mom comes in and she says, okay, what's going on here? And when she finds out, she says, okay, you let him play with your Thomas train, and you let him play with your uh, Lightning McQuaid car, and then everybody will be happy. What has she done? She's played the part of a mediator, and she's bring, brought these two children together, she's quieted them down, there's peace again in the house, especially for her. Um, but here's the thing. Um, a mediator stands between two parties and they bring them together and they, basically what they're saying is if you do this or if you bring this to the table and you do this, you bring this to the table, then okay, everybody can uh, have peace again. We can, we can settle things. Here's the problem from our perspective. We have nothing. We have nothing to offer, nothing to bring uh, worthy of God. Because what does God demand of us? What does he expect? What is his standard for us? Absolute, absolute holiness and obedience. And we are just not capable of that. And so we need a mediator who not only stands in the middle, but who does for us what we cannot do. He himself must make substitution for our guilt. He himself must supply where we fall shamefully short. But to do this, he must have very particular qualifications. He must be, first of all, truly human. That is, sharing our human nature. He must be flesh and blood like us. One who could understand our weakness and feel our pain. He must be one who understands temptation because he himself would be tempted in every way just as we are, even though Christ never had any sin. And he must be truly righteous. That is, he must be a spotless lamb against whom no accusation of sin could stand. And in case those qualifications aren't impossible enough 
throw in that he must also be divine. He must also be God. He must be more powerful than all creatures. He must be true and almighty God. In other words, what we needed, the kind of mediator that we needed was that we needed God to become man. We needed an incarnation. That's what it would take. That's the kind of mediator and deliverer who would qualify to be our savior. And that's what's so amazing about our confession. That we contrite sinners begin to see a glimmer of hope. Even in the face of these impossible qualifications for the mediator that we would need. Because God has provided such a savior. See, here's the astonishing scenario. There we stood, every one of us, according to our fallen nature, before the judgment seat of God. And we stood guilty. We had no hope. We had no defense in and of ourselves. We had no point to argue. Nothing to bring to the table. The sentence, and that sentence was rightly deserved, the wages that were earned by our disobedience was death. But here's the fascinating and astonishing thing. The judge, who is within his right to carry out the sentence, that's death, to have his justice satisfied by pouring out his wrath upon us, under which we would have surely perished, the judge sets down his gavel. And he took our place on the cross. And he did this for us. Not when we were worthy of it. He did it while we were yet sinners. When we had no inclination to, and certainly could not earn his forgiveness. When we wanted nothing to do with him. When we were aliens and strangers from him, and we were quite happy with that. That's when he uh, paid the price for us. This is our comfort in life and in death, that our faithful Savior has done for us what we never could have done. True God became truly righteous man to become our Savior, to bear our sin and condemnation. And brothers and sisters, may we rejoice in our glorious hope. Not only the beginning of hope for us, but our sure hope. Christ has made salvation for us a reality. He has fulfilled what we could not He has borne what we could not bear, giving us this confession of Psalm 32. In verses 10 and 11, Many are the woes of the wicked, but the Lord's unfailing love surrounds the man who trusts in him. Rejoice in the Lord and be glad, you righteous. Sing, all you who are upright in heart. Amen. Let's respond by turning in our hymnals once again to Psalm 32. And uh, let's rise to sing stanzas 4 and 5.